0: Hey church, my name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here at Church in the Square. Please open up your Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 26. Romans chapter 3, verse 26. That will be the verse that we look at. We're concluding today really a vital paragraph um, in Paul's letter near the end of chapter 3 where he has covered uh, a whole host of many different aspects of the work of Christ through the cross, that he is our justification, our righteousness, our propitiation, and our mercy, our grace. And so he's covered so many different things here. And so today we'll look at the last uh, verse, Romans 3, verse 26, in this particular portion of scriptural vital, vital transition from really the first movement of the letter into this crescendo of the gospel Romans 3, verse 26, reads this way. Let me read it for us and then pray, and then we will get to work. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. These are the very words of God. We say thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we... We need this. We are desperate to simply come to you as we've gathered today and we've sung the truths of who you are. We, we've prayed, we've confessed, we've lamented, we've been reassured of your kindness and your grace and your power and your presence. We need this as your people. And so as we, we come to your word, we're, we're really doing what we've already begun to do in our time together, which is to cling to the truths of the scriptures, which ultimately is, is coming to the truths of you, our God. And so, Father, we, we need your help to understand, to comprehend who you are and what you are up to in our hearts, in our world, in our church community, in our neighborhood. And so help us, Father, help us to hear your voice, help us to respond. When you reveal sin, maybe be quick to Seek forgiveness and where where you are reminding us of your power, of your grace, of your love. Would we believe you? Would we take you at your word? And so, Father, thank you that you're God who speaks to us. Help us to be a people who listen. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody agreed and said, Amen. Well, one of the primary themes that Paul has been focusing on and repeating over and over in this particular paragraph. Um, here in Romans chapter 3, is faith. If you remember, Paul applauded uh, faith in his readers in Romans 1 verse 8. He said that their faith was proclaimed in all the world. And not only uh, did he understand that their their faith is the way that they had become a Christian, but it's also the way that, that they lived as Christians. And And same is true for us, that we don't just Become Christians because of faith, but faith is the way that we live. He says that the righteous shall live by faith in chapter 1, verse 17. So faith is how we receive salvation, and faith is how we grow in sanctification. We might say it this way that the Christian life is all faith. The Christian life is all faith. Faith is fundamental to us. Nothing is more foundational to the Christian faith than faith. Itself. We are a people who believe. We believe things about God. We believe things about ourselves. We believe things about the world. So, what is faith? Well, the writer of Hebrews said succinctly that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, faith is an assurance. Faith is a conviction. In particular, to be a Christian is one who has a belief in the unseen, namely, God himself. Therefore, as the people of God, we are those who walk by faith, not by sight. That means we are a people of faith and that we build our lives around what cannot be seen with the naked eye. We need eyes that come from God. We need vision that only comes from God. So let's talk about that today. Let's talk about that kind of of faith. What it is to believe and what it is we believe. This portion of Romans, to which we've dedicated the better part of two months, plays faith on repeat. Look at it with me from verse 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through Faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, in verse 22, we witness that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 22 also, that the righteousness, this righteousness is for all who believe. And the blood of Christ in verse 25 is received by faith. And then our text today, verse 26, Jesus is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we want to look at verse 26, but we want to keep in mind the theme now that we have in full view, having reviewed, looked at, taught from verses 21 all the way to 26. So, so keeping 26 in mind to be sure, but looking at a whole, at, as a whole, this particular portion of scripture, Romans 3 verse 21 through 26. Now, Now faith is all about trust. We're we're talking about believing in God. And when we talk about believing in God, or in this case, as verse 26 says, faith in Jesus, we are not merely talking about acknowledging his existence. To be sure we are at least doing that, that God exists, that God is real. Many people, though, believe God exists, but do not have faith in God. There is a difference. Perhaps the more helpful word for us then to to think about faith in a biblical sense, not just in God's existence, but what it means to be a people of faith is that word trust. See, biblically, when we talk about believing in God, we're talking about trusting God with our very lives and with the whole of our lives. That's the essence of that Greek word pistuo, which is most often translated into English as faith. That's true of this particular passage, this verse 26, and many places in verses 21 through 26. See, in the ESV, the English Standard Version, which we preach from, which many of you likely have, in the ESV translation, Romans 23, 26 translates this, this uh, phrase in the Greek, Tan ek pestuos yesu, is translated the one who has faith in Jesus. But the construct is less about someone who, who possesses faith like a spiritual commodity, like something that they, that they, that they own or, or an addendum to themselves. It's much more about someone who embodies faith. This person, as one commentator put it, is one who is of faith in Jesus. Their life is marked and defined by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, a Christian is not someone who believes God exists along with other disconnected sort of spiritual ascents or beliefs. Faith in Jesus is our defining characteristic. It's who we are. We don't just think he's real. We trust him with our lives. We trust him with our sin. We trust him with our brokenness. We trust him with our finances. We trust him through a global pandemic. We, We trust him in our temptations and in our daily struggles. We trust him with our relationships. We trust him with our marriage, with our children, with their well-being. The entire Christian life is a life of faith. What's more is that faith is a gift. We've already explored this in our Romans series. Faith is not uh, an effort or a work of righteousness that makes me saved or keeps you saved. The power and act of belief is equally a gift as as grace and the love of God as anything else. God does not simply supply the, the work of salvation and that he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross, but he also gives us by grace the means through which we receive this gift of grace, of salvation. Here's what Paul said to the Ephesian church, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. And what's the gift? What is the thing that is not of your own doing? It's faith. Faith itself. Faith is not the result of a good work or good vibes about God. Faith is a gift of grace. See, true faith then cannot be lost because it was not earned. True faith is fundamental to this new nature that that we are recreated, recreated in the likeness of Christ to be a people of faith. See, faith in Jesus is a conviction of what God has done and an assurance of who he is, which then results in a life of faith. Why is this so vital for us to understand? Why do we have to take so much time to consider something that is so fundamental? Shouldn't we all just get it? Well, perhaps. But the reason I think it's so vital and the reason that we need to continually consider what it is to truly be a people of faith is because I think daily that the evil one would have us believe that our assurance is unsure. He would daily have us doubt our convictions. Ultimately, he would have us believe our faith is contingent upon our circumstances. And I think we believe him regularly, don't we? That our faith moves and wanes and sort of responds to what we are going through. Sometimes we say we have strong faith. Sometimes it's a little. Sometimes we're hot. Sometimes we're cold. I think perhaps through this pandemic, we have had more faith in what Satan himself has taught us about our faith and what God tells us. We can be tempted in the middle of such a season to believe the words of the father of lies and not the father of lights. How can I say that? Well, I think it's because of this. That I think we often confuse our feelings with our faith. We often confuse our feelings with our faith. And I want to take a good amount of time to help us understand how that misconception takes root and how by God's grace, he does a work to root that out of us. In the mid-1960s, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached a series of sermons which he called spiritual uh, depression. He opened those messages from Westminster Chapel in London, surmising that spiritual depression is a condition which has afflicted God's people right from the very beginning. In other words, it's not new. It focused on the church's lack of what he called true joy. But I think that uh, It's an idea that deserves our attention now, perhaps more than ever, because of the weight now. Our particular culture and our cultural moment places upon emotions and feelings. As Lloyd-Jones surveyed the scriptures, especially the Psalms, he noticed this condition present even in the biblical writers. Psalm 42.11, I think, summarizes Lloyd-Jones' discovery really well. When the psalmist asked, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In turmoil, in distress, in, in depression. In, in other words, when his emotions are at an all time low, the psalmist is stepping outside of his experience and calling out to his soul to hope in God, to believe, to have faith, to trust the Lord. In other words, the psalmist is saying, submit to your faith, to your faith in God, not your feelings. Submit to your faith, not your feelings. Church in the Square, I wonder if somewhere in COVID in this pandemic from 2020 on into 2021, if you felt turmoil, if you've felt distress, if you've felt depression, if you've felt your feelings in a way that you have never felt them before. I know I have. To be sure, before children, I thought I was a patient man. (laughs) Children have revealed that I have a very short temper and COVID has exposed my ego and my pride and how that results in anger with my children all too regularly. This week, even, I had to ask for their forgiveness. Submitting to my feelings, giving into those things and not trusting, and speaking to my soul like the psalmist. And this is what we need today. Oh God, help us. We need to speak back to our souls that are tempted to submit and give in and just allow our feelings to be our guide. We need to hear it, to hope in God, believe in the Lord, have faith in the Lord, trust church, my sisters, my brothers, trust the Lord. That's hard. That's really hard, isn't it? Church, having faith is hard. Trusting the Lord with our lives in the middle of what we have gone through, in the middle of what we've gone through as a church, in the middle of what we've gone through as a city, in the middle of what we've gone through as a country and world, there has been a lot of emotions, and it's hard in the middle of that to trust the Lord and to believe in Him. Yet this is exactly what the scriptures call us to. Proverbs 3:5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. See, daily, isn't it true? Sin invites me to trust myself and my own understandings. Sin encourages me to have faith in myself, to trust my emotions, to trust my gut. But that is simply not what the Bible teaches us. We are a people of faith, not in our feelings. We are a people of faith in Jesus. And that's really hard. This year in particular, this has been trying. This week, my own emotions were all over the place, likely, honestly, because of sorrow and weariness. Weary. And it was challenging to disallow those feelings to dictate the way that I treated others, thought about myself and lived my life. I, 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 am, I know that that weight that I'm sensing, I'm not alone in that. I know you're carrying heavy burdens. I know there's emotion and turmoil and sorrow and despair and weariness and exhaustion. Perhaps even shame and guilt that that sitting at home and doing work is so exhausting. And so then you're even dealing with these sorts of thoughts and feelings about yourself for even being tired and being conflicted in that, knowing that others throughout the world are going through much more challenging situations. And it's true, we should hold those things in tension. And yet the Lord speaks to us, helps us to know what it is to be a people of faith in the middle of our situation. See, now when we talk... About feelings in the church, we, I think we have to be mindful of the history we have with feelings as, the, as God's people. See, historically, the church has aired I think, in three particular ways when it comes to emotions. And so I want to walk through just these three quick movements of history with our feelings. I think in recent history, particularly in the Western context and culture, particularly in our country, uh, faith has been viewed as the thing that overcomes our feelings. See, throughout much of Church history, feelings were viewed as carnal and, and often even as evil. Having and expressing and obeying feelings were viewed as earthly pangs, which, which faith in Jesus was meant to overcome and even eradicate emotions and eradicate our feelings. In other words, we believe that faith overcomes feelings. But then came this, this season that probably many of us grew up, and that that faith means being happy all the time. See, at the dawn of evangelicalism, in the late 20th century, emotions became, the expectation at least for them, was that they would be incredibly myopic, that feelings of sadness and anger and fear were were all really uh, expressions and evidence that we were not living with enough faith and trusting the Lord enough, and we were supposed to quiet those evil feelings because Christians now are supposed to be happy all the time. I know some of you have been looked at and even asked, why aren't you smiling? Why aren't you showing more happiness because of who you are or who you're supposed to be or something like that? Maybe this even happens uh, when we're gathered in uh, in person when we meet as a church. There's this expectation we're supposed to carry a happy face all the time no matter what we're actually going through. So we believe that Christians were always supposed to be happy. But over the past few years, particularly as the millennial generation has sort of taken hold of our collective consciousness, feelings now are our faith, and faith is our feelings. See, today there's this new perspective on feelings that has taken hold of many Christians, that faith and feelings have been conflated. They're they're viewed as the same thing. When we think about our relationship with God, what we really start thinking about and trusting is ourselves and our feelings. We, we consult how we're feeling about God, not what is true about God. How are we feeling is, is how things really are to many of us. That we believe our faith then is our feelings. And it, it's important to be clear that no matter which of these sort of iterations throughout Christian history that, that we land in, it's important to be clear that the Bible teaches none of these things. But it's this third and this current iteration that I want to take more time to think about today while avoiding the the, opposite extremes of just saying you have to be happy or that the feelings are somehow supposed to be eradicated by our faith. When we talk about having faith in Jesus and trusting in the Lord, we're talking about a reality which is unaffected by our emotions at some level and unaffected by our feelings, yet daily, These feelings tell us something contrary to the hope that we have in Christ. And so we must be vigilant with our emotions. Please, please hear me. Your emotions matter. You do not and should not always be happy. But your feelings are not the assurance of things hoped for, nor are they the conviction of things unseen. Your feelings are not your faith. Dr. Lloyd-Jones helps us to walk through this important line of of being grounded in our faith while not diminishing nor, nor centering our emotions. Specifically, feelings should be engaged. He says feelings are meant to be engaged. And when the gospel comes to us, it does involve the whole man or the whole person. It moves his mind, his heart in his will. Therefore, we we should understand these emotions, not reject them with some sort of wishful thinking and uh, faith, nor should we reject them with just acting like we're happy. So we ought to engage our feelings that we might rightly place them within the story and understand them within the story of our faith. So based upon Lloyd-Jones series, here are what I hope are four helpful questions for us to ask about our faith, or rather about our feelings in order to discern what is your faith and what are you feeling? What is your faith and what are you feeling? The first question we should ask ourselves uh, when we're, we're feeling some kind of emotion in the middle of a situation, whether it be sorrow or elation, whatever it might be, do my feelings make sense? Do my feelings make sense? See, something we feel... Uh, Uh, Rather, sometimes we feel a bunch of different things that are not actually true, that our our feelings do not match, are not grounded in reality. To be sure, no matter what your feelings are, there is an element that that is your truth, that's your experience, and and, and that's cool. But we need to know God's Word. We need to know and go to God's people and, and submit to God's Spirit in order that we might hold our feelings account to reality. In, in other words, our, our emotions don't tell us the truth about everything. We go to our emotions to help us to discern what is actually true. That means that we should be in the habit of bringing our emotions to the Lord, to our church family, bringing them to our groups, bringing them to our spouses, even to our children, so that we might know the difference between the truth and a lie. That's the essence of 1 John 4.1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And if we should test every spirit and every word, how much more ought we to test these emotions that leak in and out of our hearts and our minds? See, sometimes your feelings don't make sense. And so they should not be trusted. They should be engaged. They, they should be given an audience and attention, but they should not be fully trusted. So first, we need to ask ourselves, do my feelings make sense? Secondly, we should ask ourselves, do my feelings reveal sin? Are my feelings revealing sin? See, sometimes God sends emotions our way to get our attention. For instance, you may be feeling sorrow because you're sinning. So if we just try to get get sorrow away and think happy thoughts, we'd be avoiding the fact that we are lamenting over brokenness, perhaps in our world or sin in our own hearts. Or you may be feeling anger because you've been sinned against. That anger is telling you something, that you have been you have been offended, that you have been hurt, that someone has, has sinned against you. That, that anger is telling you something to pay attention to. See, our feelings then are, are tools in which God's Spirit can and does reveal sin. We see this in the way the psalmist is drawn to the hope of God in his sorrow. And also because of his sin, God sent an evil spirit to torment King Saul. This this takes place in scripture as well. See, here's the point: if you are if you are sinning, you are not going to feel great. You're not going to have warm and fuzzy feelings. Th- this is part of the consequence of sin. It brings death, and sometimes that death shows up in in these kinds of low emotions and these this sorrow and this anger. And therefore, that that's telling us something. But that feeling is not an indication that your faith is not real. Rather, it's an indication that you need to repent. See, sometimes your feelings reveal sin, and so you should repent. Sometimes your feelings reveal the sins of others, and we should seek reconciliation and justice. Thirdly, not only do we ask, do my emotions make sense, but are my emotions revealing or feelings revealing sin? Thirdly, are my feelings too important right now? Are my feelings too important right now? I think there are a couple of ways to discern if this is the case. When when our feelings have the final say, they have become too important. When they, when they are the defining logic, when they are the defining principle, because I feel a particular way, they have become too important. When when our emotions dictate the way, the ways rather that we interact with others and that we demand that they interact with us through these kinds of emotions, they are too important. Lloyd Also Lloyd-Jones exposes that we are prone in various situations before anything else to ask ourselves, what do I feel rather than what is true? What does the Bible say about this situation? What does the Bible say about my sister or my brother or my neighbor? What does God say about me? See, instead of asking questions of God and his word, we often ask questions about our emotions and about our feelings, which Really reveal they become too important. They become the priority. See, instead of going to God and His Word and His people, we go to our feelings. And this is a mistake. Feelings are too important when they have the final say, when they dictate all of our relationships, and when they are the first place we go in any given situation. Lastly, we should ask not only do my feelings make sense, Do my feelings reveal sin? And are my feelings too important right now? Fourth, we should ask, where is my real joy? Where is my real joy? Again, Lloyd-Jones explains, there is all the difference in the world between rejoicing and feeling happy. Rejoicing and feeling happy. Happiness is something within ourselves. Rejoicing is something that we have in the Lord. So to be sure, we want to be careful to not split hairs here too much. But ultimately, there is an emotion of happiness, which just has to do with what's going on in me. But there is an element, an idea of of joy, a character, a quality of who you are as a a man of God, as a woman of God. In Christ, there's a rejoicing that you have, which is hidden in God. It's protected in God. Philippians 4, 3, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. See, while emotions are not central, there is a central reality to the feeling and our feelings in Christ, and it is joy. Joy is the clear biblical overlap, if you will, between our faith and our feelings. Sometimes, though, our joy feels like sorrow and and angst related to brokenness. Sometimes joy feels like anger, a response to injustice. Sometimes our joy feels like happiness, a response to intimacy with the God of the universe or his creation or the gifts that he has given us. Sometimes our joy feels like melancholy, a restlessness in this already but not yet kingdom of God. See, joy is always what we have. Rejoicing is something we are always able to do in the Lord to be sure it may look different and be expressed differently in the life of a follower of Jesus. But, but I hope what we're seeing is that through God and God's people and God's spirit, we test our feelings. That's how we live with faith in Christ. Our feelings should always be engaged. They matter. Your feelings matter. But God's truth should always prevail upon our feelings, not the other way around. God's truth, hear this, should always prevail over our feelings and not the other way around. That's how we make sure that Jesus is our center and not ourselves. To be sure, sometimes we need help. We need help even outside of the immediate church family, and that's okay. Sometimes our story, our emotions, and and the care that we need and desire are beyond the ability of an immediate community and the community's understanding, whatever it might be. And that's okay. Counseling and mental and emotional care are not shameful, but heroic endeavors of God's common grace. However, I think what we've just looked at in these particular questions are a good place to begin to consider God's word, to talk with his people and to ask ourselves questions like these so that we would, we would make sure to hold our feelings in tension and induce subjugation to our faith. In other words, we may need to check, do more than uh, checking our feelings with our faith, but we, we, we may need to do more than that, but we never need to do less. So what is it that we exactly believe? If, if feelings are not our assurance and conviction— what is well that's what Romans 3:26 is all about look at it again with me Romans 3:26 it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we might be just he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus remember we are not just a people who have faith as some sort of commodity that we possess we we are a people characterized, defined by faith, of faith in Jesus. Specifically, we have faith in something about his character here in verse 26. We, we have faith that he is just and that he is our justifier, that, that then God himself is just and the justifier. So no matter what you are feeling, that's true. No matter what your emotions, that's true. God is just and God is justifier. That is ultimate reality, regardless of how we feel about it. Are you tracking with me, church? This is good for us. And when we have big emotions, we always need to be reunited with what is real, with what is true, with what is enduring, with what is reality. And Paul tells us that, is, that, that reality, what is true, is that God is just and God is justifier. What, what's that mean? Well, I think each idea, each of these two ideas that he lays out, carries two meanings each. A specific act of God in Christ and a core aspect of God's nature. So, so an act and an aspect of God's nature. First, God is just. What, what's, what's this mean? Well, the specific act which Paul bases this idea upon has already been covered in verses 21 through 26, that God is just in that he put forward or presented Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So on the cross, God demonstrates his justice. He does not overlook sin and evil. This act and that truth then expose a deeper aspect of God's nature, that on the cross, God was acting within his character. He wasn't doing this one-off sort of idea, this nice thing where he you know, combats evil. This is who he is. This is his, his nature. See, God is a God of justice. The justice of God is his unwillingness always and eternally to leave sin and evil unpunished and unresolved. So God is just in that he deals with sin and delivers a righteous verdict and consequence, namely death. So so God does not just do a just thing or a work of justice on the cross. That work of justice reveals his character. This is what Paul is saying reality is. This is what's true. Secondly, he's saying that God is justifier. Through this same act on the cross of what what Jesus does, that Jesus died for guilty sinners, and they are proclaimed as righteous and made righteous. Because of what Jesus has done, then you and I, by grace through faith, are proclaimed and made righteous. That's the specific act of justification, that through Christ, God makes his people righteous. Paul explained guilty sinners in verse 24 can be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. However, like justice, this is not a one-time act of God, but that God is not just doing a single act of acting like a justifier. That's who he is. God is acting again within his character. That God, in other words, is love. He is always loving. In this way, in this particular instance, is revealing who he always is. God has always been a God of love. God is a God of love and that he bestows upon the rebel, the liar, the self-righteous, the broken, the gift of his unmerited kindness. That's who he is. So that's the reality, that on the cross, we see the eternal nature of God demonstrated, namely that God is just and that God is love. And church, that's what we believe. That's our assurance. That's our conviction. That is our faith. God is the one in whom we believe. God is our assurance. God is our conviction. God is the one in whom we have faith. Not, not just generally do we believe that God exists, but this specifically is who we know him to be as revealed through Jesus, as revealed to the cross, that he is just and that God is is love. This is what grounds us in reality. See, when we are mixed up in our feelings, we need them to look to God. God is our center, not our emotions. God is our master, not our feelings. God is our reality, not whatever experience is going on in our heads and in our hearts and our bodies. He is our reality. God's justice is our hope, not our happiness. God's love is our source of meaning, not our fulfilled desires. God is the one whom we cling to. He is our reality. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. See, discerning the difference between our faith and feelings is so critical. Because sin is a vicious cycle. See, usually some emotion has led us to sin against God and against one another and then to help us out of sin, we look again to our feelings, failing to consult what is true and who it is in whom we have faith and that's devastating that's where the cycle comes in. my emotions lead me to sin and then I trust my emotions to get me out of sin. and I think it's these two particular truths that God is just and that God is love which guide us back to genuine faith when our feelings may have misguided us. Let's consider what happens when we sin. How we, we go to our feelings and how we ought to embrace faith, particularly looking at these two ideas. Think about it. If, if your first response to the commission or conviction of sin is all good, God loves me, it's fine. I don't need to worry about it. He's going to love me. He's going to receive me back. That's a response actually based on feelings. It's a feeling that tells us if God loves me, and he, then he wouldn't want me to feel bad. He'd want me to feel glad. He'd want me to feel happy and, and just feel better and, and move on. That, that's the thing about emotions. They're they, they tricky because something about that it sounds right. God would want me to feel good. He'd want me to be happy. He wouldn't want me to wallow you know, in despair, but he'd want me to, to move forward. And to, to, We might even use trusting language there. But why is this misleading? Why is this a misleading thought? Well, because the Bible tells us that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ, but it never says that there is no longer feeling bad for those who are in Christ. See, especially when we sin, we should feel guilty because we are when we sin. We, we have done a thing that the Lord told us not to. We've disobeyed. We have failed to do the good that he has called us to. So we, we should feel sad when we grieve God's spirit, when we grieve our heavenly father, when we sin. When, when you feel guilty, you should not emotionally excuse yourself and I shouldn't emotionally excuse myself through clinging to this myopic view of God and his love. We should test those feelings. Do they make sense? Do they reveal sin? Are my feelings too important? Where's my real joy? See, theologically, when we whisk away bad feelings, when we sin, we are overlooking God's justice. This is what the Gentiles were prone to do in Paul's original readership. It's what many modern people, perhaps you, are prone to do even today. So this is one way that that our emotions can play with us, if you will, and not lead us to righteousness, but leave us to some sort of emotional appeasement. See, for some of us, uh, dealing with our guilt, with happy thoughts of God's love is not natural for us. Perhaps what what I've just communicated, said, that's not really me. Instead, maybe, we respond with overwhelming sorrow. So we don't go quick to happiness. We are quick to lament and sorrow. In fact, we stay there. And so if your first response to, to the commission or Conviction of sin is, oh no, God is going to punish me and I'm going to deserve it. And I, I I, earned this. I did a bad thing. And therefore, whatever I deserve, whatever's coming to me. That's a response based on feelings too. It's a feeling that tells us if God is just, he won't let me get away with this. Then I should feel bad. This is especially true if we feel like we keep going back to God for the same thing. If we continually fall in the same Way. He forgave me already, and I told him I wouldn't do it again, and therefore we can beat ourselves up and wallow in this sort of emotion of sorrow and lament. That's tricky too, because that sort of sounds right. It sort of sounds like what we should do, but it's incredibly misleading as much as, as quick to happiness is. See, the Bible calls us to lament and to be grieved by our sin and to expect consequence, but it never teaches us to remain in sorrow. See, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. See, feeling sadness and guilt are not virtuous in and of themselves. As if feeling bad somehow moves you closer to God and believing perhaps or demonstrates that you believe more in God's justice. We should test those feelings of sorrow and of loathing and of wanting to wallow in that kind of self-pity. We should test those feelings. Do they make sense? Do they reveal sin? Are my feelings too important? Where's my joy? See, theologically, when we wallow in bad feelings, when we sin, we are overlooking God's love. This is what the Jews in this Roman context were prone to do, and it's what many of us who are very religious in our thinking, in our leanings and in our heartbeat, if you will, are prone to do even today. See, so whether we run to happiness in our sin or we remain in sorrow, we are placing our feelings, not our faith, at the center of our existence. And in both cases, we are overlooking uh, either God's justice or his love. Our feelings are held in due subjugation to our faith when we embrace the Lord and are embraced by him who is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Are you with me? See, when we look to the life of Jesus, it's so beautiful. He's neither above the fray of feelings nor is he bound by them. He feels the gambit of human emotions. He is sad when his friend Lazarus dies. He is angry when merchants are making money unjustly in the temple. He is happy When he announces his public ministry as Messiah, see, in every case, Jesus' feelings were in touch with reality. They were appropriate to the moment. He felt his feelings, hear this church, but he wasn't bound by them. He felt his feelings, but he was not bound by them. See, when Jesus approached the cross, he was emotionally conflicted. Even then, he was emotionally conflicted. And he demonstrates perfectly for us what it is to engage our emotions, but not be mastered by our feelings, but rather instead to have faith in his heavenly father, faith in God. Hear this, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. In fact, let's just turn there. Turn to the left, the gospel of Matthew. So past Acts, past John, Luke, Mark, into Matthew chapter 26 verse 36 through 44. This is Jesus and his prayer in Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will or not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me an hour? watch and pray that you may not fall not enter into temptation the spirit is indeed is indeed is willing but the flesh is weak again for the second time he went away and prayed my father if this cannot pass unless i drink it your will be done and again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy so leaving them again he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again then he came to the disciples, and said to them, "Sleep and take your rest later. On, oh, see the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand." Often, when we come to this text, we laugh a little bit that the disciples just can't stay awake for a little bit while Jesus is praying um, right before such a critical moment in the story of our faith. Jesus is at the shore of his crucifixion. And he is going to his heavenly father because he's overwhelmed. Notice Jesus is sorrowful. Jesus is troubled. Jesus has these big emotions and these big feelings. But instead of acting on those feelings and centering those emotions and simply submitting or being mastered by his feelings, he takes his feelings to his father three times. And he tests his feelings, affirming that his father's will is supreme over his emotions. Are you with me, church? Jesus' emotions were telling him not to go to the cross. His sorrow was telling him, God is love. He'll forgive sins without you having to die. His troubled soul was telling him, God is just. People are going to have to pay for their sins on their own. But his feelings were lying to him. His father, though, told him the truth. Even as he approaches the cross, he approaches willingly engaging his feelings, yet submitting to his father's desires. That, my brothers and sisters, is the essence of faith, not being mastered by our emotions, but going to the master about our emotions. And fortunately, Jesus doesn't just give us this example, but his example, oh, this is so good news, is our empowerment. In other words, in refusing to make his feelings central to his life and dissuading him from dying on the cross, he also refused to pick up, or rather to pick just God's love or just God's justice on the cross. Then he becomes just and the justifier, revealing to us the eternal character of God See, he feels his feelings, but he does not make them too important. In doing so now, we receive the glorious reward of a relationship with God who is both just and the justifier, who is love and justice. Therefore, we can have faith. We can live with faith. We ought to feel our feelings but we ought not be bound by them. And instead, we are a people bound to Christ and those who have faith in Jesus. So Heavenly Father, help us in this. Give us clarity in this to discern the difference between the truth and the lie. our feelings and our faith. We thank you for our emotions and the way you have created us to be a feeling creature feeling creatures, but help us, Father, to not trust them, but to trust you today and tomorrow and week and by week, moment by moment, that we might be a people of faith, faith in a God who is just and the justifier. We ask in Jesus' name.